0: Hello, hello, and welcome to season two of Reading by Flashlight. I'm Allison, your 14-year-old host, who's a book-obsessive homeschool weirdo. Today's new season is going to be all about Daughter of the Deep, Rick Riordan's new book. So here, just like I did last season, I'm kind of going to give a little intro to the book and the author. So if you don't know know who Rick Riordan is, he's the author of um, a couple of series actually. You've got Percy Jackson and the Olympians, Heroes of Olympus, um, Trials of Apollo, and I think The Kane Chronicles, and I think there's one more. But yeah, so he's written a lot of books, and he just came out with a new book a couple months ago called Daughter of the Deep. And it's actually inspired by 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Now, I've never read that book, but now that I've kind of read this book, um, I'm kind of interested in it to see what it's about. Maybe that will have to be a suggestion for another series but right now I'm going to read the little summary of this story that's inside. It says, Anna Dakar is a freshman at Harding Pincroft Academy, a five-year high school that graduates the best marine scientists, naval warriors, navigators, and underwater explorers in the world. Anna's parents died while on a scientific expedition two years ago, and the only family she has left is her older brother, Dev, also a student at HP. And they've heard all the Harry Potter jokes already, so don't go there. Anna's freshman year culminates with the class's weekend trip at sea, the details of which have been kept secret. She only hopes she has what it takes to succeed. All her worries are blown out of the water when, on the bus ride to their ship, Anna and her schoolmates witness a terrible tragedy that will change the trajectory of their lives. But wait, there's more. The professor accompanying them informs Anna that harding Pencroft has been fighting a Cold War against its rival school, Land Institute, for 150 years. Now that Cold War has been turned up to a full boil and the freshmen are in danger of becoming fish food. In a race against deadly enemies, Anna will make amazing friends and astounding discoveries about her heritage as she puts her leadership skills to the test for the first time. So that's kind of a summary of the book and it's already a New York Times number one bestseller and I'm also going to link the website, um, Rick Riordan's official website in the info section so you can check that out, check all his other books out and check this book out. But before we begin reading, I just want to go over something about the school. So in the first couple pages, it has this list of the school houses and stuff, which kind of makes it like Hogwarts. So I think that's really cool. So there's four houses. House Dolphin is, those kids are good in communications, exploration, cryptography, and counterintelligence. So that's like the attributes of the kids that are there. That's what they're mainly focused on learning. And then there's House Shark. Um, They're into command, combat, weapon systems, and logistics. And there's House Cephalopod. And they're into engineering, applied mechanics, innovation, and defensive systems. And there's House Orca, which is into medicine, psychology, education, marine biology, and communal memory. And by the way, I've already placed myself into House Cephalopod. So if that seems something like you want to do, go ahead, place yourself in a house. You know what's your Hogwarts house? I, I'm a Ravenclaw, so yeah. I feel like dolphin. I feel like how shark would definitely be like Slytherin, and then I feel like cephalopod would kind of be Ravenclaw, and orca would be Hufflepuff. But dolphin doesn't really seem like Gryffindor, kind of like something else in that. But I don't know why I'm comparing this stuff to Harry Potter. It's nothing like Harry Potter, and I know a lot of time Rick Riordan's books get compared to Harry Potter because they're one of the more, like, famous series up there with Harry Potter. But, I don't know, let's get into the book now. Chapters 1 through 10. So, chapter 1 starts off like this. Here's the thing about life-shattering days. They start just like any other. You don't realize your world's about to explode into a million pieces of awfulness until it's too late. So, the very last Friday of Anna's freshman year, she wakes up at 5am, as usual, and she gets up quietly, not to disturb her roommates and she goes outside, and we find out that she usually just goes swimming with her brother very early in the morning. And she starts to say, assuming I survived this week in sh- trials, of course, I might wash out in disgrace or die tangled in a net at the bottom of some underwater obstacle course, but hey, it's still better than ending the term doing five jillion multiple choice problems on some standardized test. So she walks over to these cliffs that kind of drop into the Pacific, and then her brother, Dev, is waiting for her, and he says, you're late, Anna Banana. And then she says, he, he knows I hate it when he calls me that. And she says, I will push you off. And he's like, well, you could try. And he said, it, it says that he does this lopsided squint. I can't really imagine what that would look like, but okay. And then it says he's wearing his standard black HP wetsuit with a silver shark logo on the front indicating his house. So, okay, her brother's in House Shark. It says, in most ways he's a tough guy, but when it comes to cold temperatures though, he's kind of a baby. So then Anna asks, what'd you bring for Socrates today? So, he gestures nearby and it turns out there's two dead squid on the grass. Okay, who's the dead squid for? It says, as a senior, Dev has access to the aquarium's feeding supplies. So this means he can sneak in treats for their little friend under the bay. Wow. Okay, so who is their friend here? So she says nice, and she picks up a squid and says, you ready? Mind you, it's a dead squid, not a live squid. Well, I don't know. Would you rather pick up a dead squid or a live squid? I don't know. What's the difference in picking one up? Wouldn't it feel the same? Okay, anyway, back to the story. I might figure that out later, but probably not. And then he says, hey, before we dive, and his expression becomes, like, really serious, I have something I want to give you. And then she's not sure if he's, like, telling the truth or not, because he does this because they have this kind of rule that we find out later when it comes to when they go swimming. And so he jumps off. And... He says, whoever jumps in first has a better chance of finding Socrates first. So I guess that's the point of their whole dive, I guess, finding Socrates first. So then she takes a deep breath and leaps after him. And she says she free falls 10 stories, wind and adrenaline screaming in her ears, and then she punches through the icy water. And then I'm gonna read a paragraph. It says, I relish the shock to my system, the sudden cold, the sting of the brine on my cuts and scrapes. If you don't have cuts and scrapes as a student at HB, you haven't been doing your combat exercises, right? They have combat exercises. Like, cool. And she describes how she plunges straight through a school of copper rockfish. And she mentions that the longest she's been able to hold her breath underwater is five minutes. But she still feels like that's her environment. Underwater, the sea, the ocean. It's all where she loves to go. And so her brother's floating above a seabed and his legs are crossed like he's meditating. And he's keeping a squid behind his back because Socrates has arrived. And he's nuzzling Des and he's like, come on, I know what you've got for me. And so we find out Socrates is a dolphin so he is a male bottlenose nine feet long with bluish gray skin and a prominent dark streak across his dorsal fin and she says i know he isn't actually smiling but his long beak mouth is just shaped that way and so dev gives him a squid and the dolphin dances around he's like (laughs) and then dev's like haha the squid likes me not the squid the dolphin likes me best and then Um, Anna gives Socrates the squid that she brought down for her and then it says he does something that she wasn't expecting he bucks pushing her hand up to gesture as if saying let's go or hurry and he like swims away and he doesn't come back which is weird because he usually doesn't lead them when they're down there and so she doesn't really understand what he's trying to say and so usually he doesn't just eat and run, he likes to hang out with them because dolphins are naturally social. And so usually he'll follow them to the surface and just stick out his head, leap over his heads. okay. They play hide and seek or it says they peppers us with squeaks and clicks that sounds like questions. And that's why we call him Socrates. He never gives answers, just questions. But she notices how today that Socrates seems agitated or worried kind of. So, at the edge of her vision where she can see, there's this blue light of a security grid that stretches across the mouth of a bay. It's like a glowing diamond pattern, and she's kind of grown used to it, so she doesn't really pay attention to them. And the lights are winking out and flink- flickering back in, and she notices that they've never done that before. So she looks at Dev, but he doesn't really seem to have noticed it, so he points up and he's kind of like, race you, and so he kicks for the surface. and. She wants to stay longer because she's curious as to see why the lights are flickering out again. Because, you know, they've never done that before. And she wants to know why Socrates ran out. But she feels like she can't hold her breath any longer. So she starts to follow Dev. And so as they get to the surface, she tells him about the grid. And he's like, are you sure you weren't just blacking out? And then so she splashes water in his face. And she's like, I'm serious. We should probably tell somebody. And Dev kind of looks like skeptical. And I'm going to read a paragraph. It says, To be honest, I never understood why we have a state-of-the-art electronic underwater barrier across the mouth of the bay. I know it's supposed to keep the sea life safe by keeping out everything else like poachers, recreational divers, and pranksters from our rival high school, Land Institute. But it seems like overkill, even for a school that produces the world's best marine scientists and naval cadets. I don't know exactly how the grid works. I do know it isn't supposed to flicker, though. And then Dev sees that she looks worried, and he's like, fine i'll report it and anna says also socrates was acting kind of weird and then dev's like a socrates act socrates acting weird okay i'll report that too and then anna's like i could do it but like you say i'm just a lowly freshman and you're the big powerful house captain of the sharks so and he splashes her back and he's like if you're done being paranoid i really need to go now but before he goes, he says, I do have something to give to you. And he pulls out this glittering chain from a pouch in his dive belt. And he says, happy early ber- birthday. And it's a necklace with a single black pearl on it. And her chest tightens. And she says, mom's? And it was her mom's wedding necklace. It says it was the only thing that we have left of her. And Dev smiles and says, I got the pearl reset. You'll be 15 years, 15 years old next week. She'd want you to wear this. And then he says, but why not wait until next week? And he says, you're leaving for your freshman trials today. I wanted you to have a pearl for love just in case, you know, you fail spectacularly or something. So there's those trials again. That's like the the second time it's been mentioned or the yeah, the second time it's been mentioned these like trials that the freshmen have to take. And then she says, oh, shut up. And he says, I'm kidding. Of course, you're going to do great. Just be okay." And she says, well, thanks, I guess. And then he says, of course. He says, come on, we're going to be late for breakfast. <laughs> always hungry, my brother, and always moving. The perfect sharp, shark captain. And he swims for sore. So she looks at the black pearl and the talisman that was supposed to bring long life and protection from evil. But unfortunately for her and my father, it didn't either. So she looks around one more time, hoping that Socrates will maybe pop up. But then she swims after her brother. And suddenly, she didn't want to be alone in the water. So chapter two, she heads to the cafeteria. She wolfs down a plate of tofu nori scramble, which I have absolutely no idea what that is. But I don't know tofu. That's all I recognize. (laughs) And so she goes back to her dorm, grabs her bags and... She's Okay, so she's a freshman, and they live on the second floor of this building called Shackleton Hall, right above the 8th graders. So I guess it's like 8th, ninth, 10th, 11th, 12th. I don't know. They probably have multiple buildings, but still. There's this one section that says, Harding Pencroft is a five-year high school. We're divided into four houses based on the results of our aptitude tests. We call the Academy HP for short, and yes, we've heard all the Harry Potter jokes. Thanks anyway. So, she goes into her dorm room, and her roommates are totally freaking out. So, we see the first roommate is Nalina, and she's stuffing tools, clothes, and stuff into her bag. And then the other roommate, his name is Esther, is sorting index cards. And she has, like, cards, like, 12 giant stacks of index cards, and they're all color-coded. They seem to be all, like, labeled and highlighted, and says her dog top barks and jumps up and down like a furry bogo stick and so rooms aren't assigned by house we learn they're actually not i don't think there's i think they're just assigned by random or something but nalina and esther are not in the same house as um anna and we act, we'll figure out what house they're in later and so nalina's like don't overpack And then she's stuffing socket wrenches into her bag. And then Esther's like, "I need my index cards and treats for Top." And then the Top, the dog, starts barking. And then Nalina just shrugs her shoulders. And then, so it describes Nalina, and it says, her lush er, her lush brown hair is tied back in a green bandana. The tails of her short sleeved denim work shirt are knotted over her dark skin. Her calf-length khakis are permanently stained with machine grease, but her makeup, as usual, is perfect. So then she finds she's a black pearl on uh, Anna's neck, and she's like, pretty, where'd that come from? And then Anna's like, early birthday present from death. It uh, belonged to her mom. And then her Nalina's mouth makes like an O shape, and so they just be quiet, because they don't share too many of their tragic backstories. And then Nalina's packing all this clothes and Anna's like, Nalina, we're going to be living on a boat for the weekend. And she said, It's like, I know, I know, but when we get back, maybe we're gonna have an end of year party. And Esther's stuffing the last of her dog biscuits into her bag and then she's like, okay. And she turns around to see if she forgot anything. And says so she's wearing her Blue House Orca t-shirt and flower pattern shorts over a one piece swimsuit. So she's an Orca. Her face is flushed. Her frizzy blonde hair has been blown in three different directions. I've seen pictures of her as a baby. Pinchable, plump cheeks, wide blue eyes, a startled expression. Like, what am I doing in this universe? She hasn't really changed much. And then she yells, I'm ready. And then is like, volume. And Esther's like, sorry, let's go. And then it says, Esther hates being late. It's one of her anxieties. Oh, yes. What is it? That one thing. I don't remember it exactly, but it's like being on time is being late like i'm like that sometimes like i need to be there early because on time doesn't work that's basically late because you didn't get there early it's not early it's not on time it's late okay back to the story and so Esther's like sorry let's go we're going to miss the bus so they're running up to the bus and so Anna starts to talk about these gold level classes that are had, and the kids there that are in these upper classes, like I guess it's for 10th, 11th, and 12th grade, they aren't allowed to talk about what they learn in that class. And there's a paragraph that says, you'd think out of 40 upperclassmen, somebody would be willing to drop a little juicy gossip about gold level classes, but nope. Like I said, the commitment to sec- secrecy is absolute and annoying. Honestly, I don't know if I'll be able to say so tight-lipped if I get to be an upperclassman, but that's a problem for another year. So, still walking towards the bus, and she sees Dev's girlfriend, I guess? Uh, That's what it says. Her name's Amelia. I'm not even gonna try to pronounce her last name. It's L-E-A-H-Y. Figure it out for me. Thank you. And so she signs good luck, and um, Anna signs thanks back, and she says, you'll need it. Mmm. Okay, thanks for the encouragement there. So she shouldn't be too worried because there's 20 people going. I mean, not that many out of the students. And she's a freshman prefect for House Dolphin. She'd have to screw up pretty bad to be kicked out. And the next paragraph says, Esther, Nalena, and I are almost the first ones to the bus. But of course, Jim and I Twain has gotten there before us. He's standing at the door with his clipboard ready to take names and kick whatever needs kicking so basically how they describe him literally only in a couple words and it says everyone calls him spider-man because he looks like miles morales from into the spider-verse so that's basically all you need to describe him. he looks like miles morales from into the spider-verse if you've ever seen that movie and then he checks off their name and he's like nalina de silva esther harding anna dakar welcome aboard and then they give uh and he's like he says this like our shuttle bus is a battleship and then anna says thank you prefect and then his eye twitches and she's like everything i seem to do bother him and that's okay with me because during our chum year this guy made nalina cry and i'll never forgive him for that and then they see bernie their bus driver and they're like he's a nice old dude retired from the navy silver hair gnarled hands coffee stained smile And Dr. Hewitt Hewitt is sitting next to him going over a day's schedule. He's pallid, he's sweaty, he's unorganized kind of, and he smells like mothballs. And he teaches the least favorite subject, theoretical marine science, or they call TMS. And most of them call it too much stuff. And then he's a really strict person. And so they go to sit in the back of the bus as far away from him as possible. And as soon as all 20 freshmen are on board, the bus gets going. And at the gate, there's these, like, heavily armed dudes that are like, Have a nice day, kids. Don't die. Or at least that's what she thinks they're saying. And so they go onto the highway. They look back, and the buildings, they describe, they're describe they described as, like, sugar cubes. Like, white cube blocks, buildings. Yeah, I don't know. I wonder what that would look like. What if the building was made out of sugar cubes? Finnick-like sugar cubes? What if... The building is made out of sugar cubes. Okay, back to the story. That's way too much. And she thinks about why she didn't see Dev at breakfast and if he had reported that flicker of light that she had seen. And she remembered, she clutched the black pearl and she says, remembers the last words her mother had spoken to her, we'll be back before you know it. And she never saw him again. So chapter three starts out with this sentence. Freshman, Dr. Hewitt said the words like an insult. Ugh. How is an insult to be a freshman? That's just, mm, mm. I'm gonna be a freshman next year. So no, you don't insult freshmen. Okay. So he starts to walk down the bus aisle. And so this is getting everybody's attention. And he's like, this weekend's trials are going to be very different than from what you're expecting. Like, I don't know. Maybe they're expecting like a big test. Maybe they're expecting a giant obstacle course where they have to prove the skills that they've learned the past year. I mean, I don't know, but he's saying like, whatever you think we're doing, we're not doing. Okay. And then Hewitt says, in 30 minutes, we're going to arrive at San Alejandro. And so he's kind of just waiting there, waiting for the whispers to dive in, because they associate that place with like shopping and movies and karaoke, not really end of the year trials, you know, so he's like, we're going to proceed to the docks, no detours, nor side trips for refreshments, and you keep your phones off. And now all the kids are grumbling. And it says, Harding Pencraft strictly controls all communication through the school in Tranton. The campus is a cellular dead zone. You want to look up the breeding habits of jellyfish? No problem. You want to watch YouTube? Good luck with that. <laughs> That's funny how they can do that, but... So Hewitt's like, I will have further information once we're at sea, but today you'll find out what the academy is truly about. And the academy will find out whether you can survive its requirements. And she's like, yeah, Hewitt's probably just trying to scare us, but he never makes idle threats at the problem. If he says we'll have extra homework, 90% of us will fail his exam like we do if he says that. And so he's like, this class is supposed to be a fun class. Like, we spend most of our time contemplating what ocean technology might look like in one or two hundred years, or if science took a different course, what might have happened? You know, all this different theoretical, you know, stuff with science. So, she's starting to wish that someone else had chaperones, because, like, their military tactics professor could have, or Dr. Kind, their physics fitness teacher. I mean, like, Hewitt's apparently like a very like sick person like he has a lot of um I don't know what you would call it but he just has like physical problems that he can't do much he can't be like a really physical person like running and jogging and all the stuff that they think they're gonna have to do he just didn't seem like the right kind of teacher for that so for the trips um the houses are going to be divided into five teams, and there's going to be four people on each team and one member from each house. Auntie hands Jim the microphone, and then she's like, but first he has a few rules, and then it says, of course he does. He's such a shark. You could put him in charge of a toddler soccer team, and he'd get delusions of grandeur. He'd have the kids marching in perfect union within a week. Then he'd declare war on neighboring toddler teams. So, uh, and then... Okay, they see so. Then he's trying to talk, and like the bus starts to rattle, and so she she's kind of being distracted, and she looks out the window, and she can kind of see the school, like you can almost see the whole school behind some trees, and she can see the part where Dev and her were there morning, but and there's no boat there, but there is a something moving like very fast in the water, and it's like under propulsion, and then. The line of the water splits into like it says splits into three segments and it looks like a trident. It's prongs racing to jab the coastline beneath the school. And then that gets her attention and she's like, hey, guys, look. And so Esther and Elena go to the window to see, but it's gone. And Elena's like, what was it? And then a wave of shock hits them and the bus is starting to like shudder and boulders are toppling into the road like a giant earthquake. And then Jim yells earthquake. And then he literally grabs his seat to steady himself and Dr. Hewitt's thrown against the window. And so the asphalt is cracking. Kids are screaming. And it says all 20 of us well-trained freshmen scream like teenagers. I would be screaming too. And then Bernie regains control over the bus and they round the corner to go look at HP because they're going past it. And and then Anna yells, Bernie, stop! Stop here! And then they look out to see where you would be able to see harding Pencraft HP, but there's nothing there. Like, everyone's pressing their face against the window, and everyone's like, what? And some kids are even crying. And another, like, one of those shockwaves hits them, and then another massive wedge of earth cowls into the bay taking the last of the beautiful sugar cubes with it something's like breaking apart the cliff where the school is and then she starts bumbling to herself and and then she's like but my brother's on that campus so we're 150 other people and an aquarium full of animals harding Pencroft academy is gone So chapter four, some of my classmates stand at the guardrail and cry. Others hug one another. Others are desperately searching for a phone signal, trying to text friends or to call for help. Elise McManus howls and throws rocks at the ocean, and Cooper Dune paces like a captive lion, kicking the bus's front tires and the back ones. And so Jim's thinking, this, this is impossible. And then he's waving his arms where the school used to be, and he's like, impossible! And then... Their school's gone. I mean, they're all in shock. Their school was just blown up or something. And so she's, Dev's gone. Dr. Francis is gone. Amelia's gone. Colonel Apesh, Dr. Fares, Dr. Kind. All the baby otters that she just fed yesterday, gone. And she's like, everyone except the freshman class was at HP. The freshman class is the only class that's left. And so she looks over and Dr. Hewitt gets off the bus and he goes to Bernie. And they're having like this really quiet conversation. And Anna can apparently read lips because dolphins are their strong suits like communication, code breaking, gathering intelligence. So like she's learned a lot of stuff like she knows ASL before. So, yeah, figures she probably knows how to read lips. And so Hewitt saying land and attack, those are the words she can make out. And then Bernie responds by saying inside help. And she's like, I must have misread. Hewitt couldn't have meant land institute. I mean, she knows that they've been rival schools forever, but they are usually just do pranks like egging the yacht or stealing a great white shark. But this is like annihilation. And like, what is Bernie meaning by inside help? And then Anna's like, I saw the attack. But everyone's, like, too distracted. And then she yells louder. her, like, I saw the attack. And then Jim stops pacing, and he clenches his fist, and he's like, what do you mean, attack? And then he's like, Anna's like, it was some kind of torpedo. At least I think that was what I saw. And then she kind of describes what she saw. And then Kaya Jensen, who's another shark, says, it can't be. The grid was up. Anything that would have come through would have been neutralized. And then she realizes what that flickering was. She was like, this morning... Dev and I, and she stops, and everyone stares at her, and they're, like, waiting for it to continue. And she's like, Dev was going to go report it, and he probably was in the security office when it... And then everyone's quiet. And then Tia Romero, who's the cephalopod prefect, says, one torpedo? Like, even with multiple of these, there's no way that a single missile could have destroyed the whole school. And then she looks at her other people... Other people, her other classmates, and she's like, they start whispering amongst themselves, cephalopods are problem solvers. It's what they do, like me reading lips. Dump a box of Legos in front of them, tell them to construct a working computer out of the pieces, and they won't rest until they figured out a way. And then Jim's like, it doesn't matter how it happens, but we need to go back and check for survivors. And then everyone's like, yeah, we should go do that. And then he's like, okay, everybody needs to get back on the bus. But before he can say bus, Dr. Hewitt's like, No. And everyone's like, what? We need to go see if there's, like, survivors. And he it's like, the drones will run surveillance. So he got some drones out now, okay? He brought drones on a field trip. But he's like, they'll go run surveillance, but don't get your hopes up. There is probably not going to be any survivors. Land Institute has launched a strike, and they mean to eliminate us. I've been fearing an attack like this for two years. Like, what in the world? You didn't think to tell anybody, boy? Mm. And then tops is nec- Top is next to her. Oh, they didn't leave the dog. Oh, the dog is safe. Esther took her. Him. I, uh, I think it's him. And then he goes over to Esther. And then Franklin Couch, who is the orca prefect, is like, Dr. Hewitt, we might have wounded people back there. People buried in rubble. We have to try. And then he was like, do not speak. And then... She's like, this is the first time he's gotten, like, this mad. And then he, he's like, we're going to continue to San Alejandro, and all of you have to listen. You may be all that's left of Harding Pencroft, and you can't fail. The trials are canceled, but instead, you're going to have to learn what you must know on active duty. And at this moment, we are at war. And 20 freshmen are staring back at him like, Well, I thought we were just gonna go take a test. What is this? And then they're like, we're not even graduates, we're kids. And then Hewitt's like, we're going to continue to the docks and once we're there, I'll give you further instructions. In the meantime, Jim and I twain. And then he steps forward and he's like, sir? He's like, standard weapons are stored in the buses hold. And then he said, yes, sir, they are. And Hewitt says, "Arm your team, weapons hot until further notice. And Jim snaps his fingers. And four sharks run to go get gun cases. They brought guns on the trip. You know, this team was like, it's like they were prepared for everything somehow. Like, Hewitt's got the drones and then uh, the sharks have the guns. Like, were they preparing for an attack or something? Like, I don't think they are. This is a, seems to be a surprise for everybody. But, like, they have everything they need. And then would says, Prefect Twain, you have a new standing order. And then Jim's like, I understand, sir, because he thinks that he's supposed to help protect others. That's why they are having the guns out, that he's supposed to protect everybody. But Hewitt's like, no, I'm not sure you do. At this moment, you're responsible for one life above all the others. You'll not leave her side and you will protect her with your dying breath. You will make sure she stays alive no matter what happens. And Jim looks like really confused. He's like, "Uh, sir, because like he thinks that he's being told to like, take, just keep an eye on everybody. But then he gets told that he has to watch one person and like, if it comes down to life and death, he has to make sure she lives. And then he points at Anna and he's like, Anna Dakar must survive. And then chapter five starts out with Anna saying, like, I don't need this. My school's been destroyed. My brother's probably dead. We're back on the bus heading towards San Alejandro as if nothing has happened. And on top of everything, Gemini Twain is a personal bodyguard. And she's like, why me? And um, she's like, I'm not Esther, who's descendant from one of the school's founders. My family isn't rich or powerful or famous. The Dakars, yes, they've been at HP for generations, but so have a lot of families. And I'm not the only one who's lost a sibling. Like, there's a girl whose brother was a junior and a girl who had a sister. And, you know, like, why me? Why am I the one that's being told to be, like, protected? And, oh, Esther's... Oh, yeah, her last name is Harding. So she's... Um... Descendant. I'm dumb. I didn't figure that out. Okay, so Dr. Hugh is just sitting in the front row when he's like staring at his iPad, control pad, whatever. And they say the sweat blotches on his dress shirt have expanded into alien continents. I only hope his drones find survivors at HP. And so she tries to text Dev, but of course, there's no Wi-Fi. So in Hewitt's confiscating our, their phones and locking them in this strong box says which makes her feel like I'm trying to function with one arm duct taped behind my back. And then Hewitt's just, like trying to assure them that his drones are going to alert local like emergency services. And so she's waiting to like hear the sound of ambulances, police cars, fire trucks like on their way to HP. Like this is the only road that they could take to get there. Like it's a one way road. So they would have seen them, but there's nothing like the schools isolated. Hewitt calls the authorities and he's like, it could be hours before anyone notices a giant chunk of the countryside's disappeared into the sea. And then she thinks back to what he said. I've been fearing an attack like this for two years. And she's like, why didn't you he warn us? And she, I'm going to read a paragraph. It says, maybe it's a coincidence that two years ago, my parents died on a scientific expedition for harding Pincroft. a tragic accident, the administrators told us. Whenever I asked for details why Taran and Sita Dakar were on that expedition for HP, what they were looking for, the faculty at HP seemed to get selective amnesia. I assumed they were trying to spare my feelings, letting me work through grief. But now she's not so sure. Oh, and then she thinks of Amelia, who was her house captain, um, when she had signed to her and said, good luck. And it's like, Amelia was so excited about graduating. She had big plans. She was going to go to the US Marine Corps and a fast track to comm school at 29 Palms. In her five years at HP, she'd learned 12 languages. She could break linguistic codes that stumped our professors. And her goal was to become one of the youngest intelligence commanders in corpse history and now she's gone and you know she's Anna's shaking with anger and then Elena's like hey and then she hands her a pack of tissues and she's like yeah tissues okay thanks and then Esther is sitting by a window and she's puffy-eyed and crying and writing notes on her index cards and then top Sensing who needs him most, pads over and pushes his nose between my knees. Hi, I'm cute. Love me. That is what a dog would say, wouldn't it? And then Jim is sitting across the aisle, and he has a, I don't know how to say this. If you say S-I-G or SIG, SAR, P-T-T-6-S, guns holstered on either side of him, like Wild West style. And that's why they call him Gemini Twins because he has the twin guns and then he has an m4a1 assault rifle sitting on his lap this guy is well prepared like this guy is he's well prepared for something to happen and she says another one of the odd things i don't really think much about harding pencroft has this just big selection of military grade equipment that we use for training and she's like I suppose that's fortunate seeing as now we're apparently at war with another high school and the bus is like strangely silent and like Jim's like do you have any idea what's going on here he's talking to Anna and because maybe he thinks she knows why I mean you would think that she knows why she's being protected but she's like honestly I've got no idea and then Jim's like I'm going to need your help all of you. And he looks at Esther and Nalina and he's like, I know we haven't all gotten along. And then Nalina snorts and Jim glances up the aisle and he's like, But you know I'm going to say what's true. The four of us are the best of our houses. No disrespect to Tia and Franklin, though. They're great at what they do. But if we're going to war, you guys are my top picks, even if you're all not prefects. And then Nalina grumbles and she's like, How flattering. And he's like, I'm just saying. But Nalina's like, badly you're saying it badly and then esther's right he's right though maria's our top theorist but nalina scores is applied mechanics and combat engineering's are higher franklin's got more advanced medical skills than me but and jim's like but you're esther harding and then esther said i was going to say i'm better at everything else except that would probably be rude wouldn't that be rude And then so none of us bothered to answer. Esther's Esther. We all know she would hate being a prefect. We also know she's the quintessential orca. Her note cards are really just an emotional support tool like top because her mind holds more information about Harding Pincroft, natural history, and marine ecosystems and all the books in our recently destroyed library. She isn't fond of humans with the exception of Nelena and me and would much rather spend her time with animals. Gotcha. So, Jim keeps talking, he's like, we're going to have to work together to figure out what's happening, whether you like it or not, and we're going to have to, what we're going to have to do next is, you know, because Hewitt's not telling us everything, and then Nolan is like, he's not telling us anything, and then he's like, but if I have to protect Anna, and Anna's like, which, by the way, I did not ask for, and then Jim and I, looks like he wants to say something angry, but she's like, he never curses, and he's super straight-laced, but he wants to say something and then he's like none of us ask for this we have to formulate a response to do that we have to know what we're dealing with how could Lynn institute just go and destroy our entire school and then esther shuttle shudders, not a shuttle that has to do with space Shudders, and then elena starts talking all uh rocket no not rocket ship like i don't know missiles and she's like Seismic detonators, one torpedo with three warheads simultaneously impacts at fracture points along the base of the cliff. And Jem's like, hold up, that's TMS. That's pure science fiction. That technology doesn't even exist. And then Esther's like, but you need six warheads. Anna probably didn't see the others because they were too deep. And the security systems must be down, not just the grid. They need to be able to fool the drones, the long sound sonar, the interceptor missiles. And then Nalina's like, we have interceptor missiles. And then Esther blushes and she's like, oops, I wasn't supposed to say that. Because, like, since she's a descendant of the family, she probably knows a lot about the school that other kids don't. So she probably has, like, a lot of stuff about the school she's not supposed to say and then she's like, well, if all the HP systems are self-contained, the firewalls have firewalls. There's no way anyone could hack in without being detected. And is like, unless, and then Anna's mouth goes dry and she's like, right. I overheard Bernie and Hewitt talking about something when we got off the bus. And Jim makes air quotes around the word overheard. And then she's like, okay, fine. i read their lips. And Jim's like, what did they say? And then Dr. Hew- he she looks at Dr. Hewitt and he's still failing with the control pad. And then Anna says, Bernie mentioned inside help, which means, and then Jim cuts her off and she's like, and he's like, someone at HP sabotaged us. If that person didn't want to die in the attack, they would be on this bus. <laughs> So that kind of left on a cliffhanger, but again, thanks for listening to this week's episode. Again, this is Daughter of the Deep, written by Rick Riordan, and I was planning on doing 10 chapters an episode, but as you can see, the chapters are a lot longer in this book compared to the last book we did, so I think I'm going to go ahead and do 5 chapters an episode. So today was 1 through 5, and next week on Monday will be five or I guess six or ten but yeah that's that so thanks again for listening and if you have anybody that you think would be interested in Daughter of the Deep or in this podcast in general point them to this direction and if you have any book requests you can leave them on Spotify only in the reply section but thanks again for listening and see you next week